0: Good morning, Maranatha. Good morning. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. Sorry, the praise team uh, wrecked me, so I'm, uh, we're already off to... Uh... Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Oh, we thank you, Lord, that by your grace, we have this privilege to gather as your saints uh, to worship you. And we do take this time to pray, Father, for the many churches meeting this morning. We pray, Father, that the gospel would be boldly proclaimed, that Christ would be exalted. We pray, Father, for those who are ill. Uh, the, even just as a lookout here, many are ill, many are, have been exposed to COVID, and we pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, that you comfort them, that you would heal them, that you restore them so that we could all be back together once again, worshiping in person together we pray, Father, that you would remind us that in this season, in all seasons, Lord, you are Lord over all things. And that we have no reason to fear that as your people, Lord, we can trust that you are a good and faithful and loving God. So help us to rest in that truth. And as we enter now into the time of preaching of your word, we pray for our own hearts, Lord, that you would soften our hearts that you would protect us from distractions here at home, Lord, that we would be focused on hearing from you this morning. And not only hearing from you, Lord, but also looking, seeking, be led by your Spirit to apply the truths of your words, of your word in our lives. So please help us this morning. We have to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For those who don't know, I've been serving in youth ministry for over 11 years now. And I've seen and organized a fair share of games and icebreakers. Some I shouldn't mention on stage because it should never have been played. But one icebreaker that doesn't have much much controversy, uh, that I often played in van rides to retreats or outreach trips, it was an icebreaker called Would You Rather. And for those who don't know, It's a simple game where you're given two options and you explain why you would choose one over the other. Would you rather be 9 inches tall or 12 feet tall? Or would you rather always have body odor and not know it? Or always smell body odor on everyone else? And one question I have spent a lot of time talking to my friends about is, would you rather be the superstar on a basketball team that never wins or a bench player that never plays, but wins championships all the time. Right? And there's no in-between, you can't have a little bit of both options. You choose one, and you make the best argument you can. And from my experience, these situations, they lead to some really, really interesting conversations, and you learn a lot about the individual. Our passage this morning puts before us two options. But what's different is that Jesus is not putting before us a hypothetical situation. Jesus, while preaching his Sermon on the Mount, challenges his followers with the following. Will you pursue the treasures on earth? Or will you pursue the treasures of heaven? There are only two options and that is it. And my hope this morning Is that the Holy Spirit work through God's word? And that the Holy Spirit would lead us to trust that the treasures of heaven are far more everlasting than the treasures of earth. So I ask all of us, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And once again, for those of us here and for those at home, if you're able, please stand with me out of reverence for God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now the first verse in our passage presents us with the first option. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And it's important to note that the Greek word for lay up and treasure are the same word. And one commentator writes that the way the ESV and many versions translate verse 19, it often softens Jesus' command here. In the Greek, it's a present active command. So this verse could be more accurately translated, stop laying up for yourselves, rather than do not lay up for yourselves. And even better, stop treasuring for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus wasn't giving a reminder or a general guideline to keep in mind, but he's calling his listeners to act without delay. And he's making it as clear as possible that going with option one, going with this option, is absolutely foolish. And we see such warnings throughout God's word. Proverbs 11.28, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Paul writes to his beloved disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." And in Matthew 19, Jesus, he meets a rich young man. And in his pride, this young man believes he's checked off every commandment and fully deserving of eternal life. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man goes on to say, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Then Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This rich young man had some serious issues. Not only one, but he had some serious issues with his theology. And among them was his belief that his deep love for his earthly treasures, that it could coexist with being a follower of Jesus. Now, unlike the rich young man, the disciples and many followers who were listening to Jesus, most likely they weren't rich. It's likely that they didn't have much earthly treasure. They lived under Roman oppression. They were taken advantage of by deceitful tax collectors and even their own religious leaders. And yet, Jesus calls his listeners to stop pursuing the treasures on earth because they, like the young man, were tempted to love material goods and be tied down to this world. They were easily tempted to forget that clothing, no matter the quality or price, can be easily ruined by something as small as a moth. That precious metals... Like coins can rust, and money and homes can rot and be destroyed. That even the most precious objects in one's home, it can be easily broken into and taken away by thieves. And what Jesus is getting at is summed up by D.A. Carson, who writes, For heirs of the kingdom of God to hoard riches in the last days, it is particularly short-sighted. And if we're honest with ourselves, not much has changed over the past 2,000 years. In our sinful idolatry of earthly treasures, we make all sorts of justifications for earthly treasures. We make all sorts of reasons and excuses for why pursue after it. And we forget that our treasures today are just as susceptible to the very same things that Jesus warned of. Yeah, we have mothballs and... WD-40 and, you know, our wealth is now online and, you know, some of you guys have ring doorbells that film everything. But all of these things, all of these technologies, it doesn't change the fact, it doesn't change what Jesus was teaching his followers. And it's this. These things don't last. We can do all that we want, but these things do not last. Just over a week ago, there was news that two ancient shipwrecks were discovered off the Mediterranean coast, and the archaeologists, they were absolutely amazed to find hundreds of silver and bronze coins that dated back to the mid-3rd century. And they also found over 500 silver coins from the Middle Ages. And it's stunning. It's amazing to think that such treasures have lasted for over 1,700 years. But what Jesus is saying is this, that even those 1,700 years, it's only a small speck of time when it's compared to the eternity of God's kingdom. It's a small speck of time when it's compared to the eternity of God's kingdom. So Jesus wants to make really clear that this first option is foolish. Foolish. So stop treasuring the treasures of earth because it won't last. It's not worth it. Stop because the Lord ultimately offers treasures that do last. And this leads us to the second option. And we read in verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Whereas the treasures on earth won't last, the treasures of heaven, they do last. Now, Jesus isn't teaching us to stop working or to give up what he has graciously given us. When we look at God's word and we see Proverbs 6, 6-8, to it commends the example of an ant who works hard to prepare her bread in summer and gathering her food in the harvest. And believers are to live with such wisdom. And in 1 Timothy 4, 3, Paul encourages Timothy to teach others to enjoy the good things that the Lord has given us. And in 1 Timothy 5 eight, it calls the believer to work and provide for loved ones. And if he doesn't, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Work is good. And we can use these treasures that the Lord has given us for everlasting purposes. For the Jewish audience, treasures in heaven was a very familiar phrase. It was found in a lot of their literature, and they believed that they were storing up treasures of good and eternal significance by doing good on earth. But what many of them failed to understand was that standing before them was the king of heaven who came to establish his kingdom on earth. Right before their eyes was the promised Messiah who was sent by God the Father, the one that all of the Old Testament pointed to. And as we see at the end of chapter 7, these crowds, they were astonished. But they merely saw Jesus as just someone who spoke with authority unlike the scribes. I think like these scribes, we are quick to forget that Jesus is the King of Heaven. And because we forget that he is the king of heaven, we are so quick to go after earthly treasures and to lay aside this command, this this great promise to lay up for ourselves treasures of heaven. But brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this great truth. This king of heaven, this king Jesus, he is currently seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus, he didn't get there through power and might. He didn't get there through wealth and status. It was through humble obedience to his Father's will. It was through humble obedience to his Father's will. And as we read in Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus' obedience to death on the cross was for our sake, so that we who were dead in our trespasses would be made alive together with Him. It's through His humble obedience that our trespasses would be forgiven, that our record of debt for our sin against the Holy God would be canceled. But as we sang, praise the Lord, he is risen, he is alive. Three days later, after dying on the cross, Jesus would be raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. And he would ascend to heaven to take his rightful throne as high king of heaven. Now, I can't say for certain where heaven is located. I just know it's up right that's it's just up because there's a lot of coming down and a lot of looking up heaven is up because god's word doesn't specify but what is certain brothers and sisters is this that jesus is seated at the right hand of god in heaven and we know this for certain because this is mentioned over 20 times in the new testament over 20 over 20 times romans 8:34 who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Such passages teach us that Jesus being at the right hand of God means that he is of equal position, honor, power, and authority. And him being seated means that his work of redemption, it is finished. And unlike earthly kings who have boundaries to their power and limits to how long they reign, Jesus, he's the everlasting king. And he has no limit to his power or no limit to the time he will reign. And this is why Jesus can boldly command his followers to store up treasures for heaven. Because only an everlasting king, only an everlasting king can offer treasures that last forever. Only an everlasting king can promise treasures that will last forever. And laying up treasures in heaven, it's not an abstract concept. It's not something for us just to think about. What Jesus is calling us as followers to do, it's a call to wholehearted obedience. And this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. To flourish, to grow as a follower, requires humble, wholehearted obedience. Not half-hearted devotion, but wholehearted obedience. One can't earn their way into God's kingdom through obedience, but wholehearted obedience is the fruit of one who has been graciously welcomed into his kingdom. And throughout the sermon, Jesus teaches us how citizens of God's kingdom are to lay up treasures in heaven. We are to stand firm when persecution comes. We are to forgive when we've been wronged. We are to love our enemies and these are just a few of the many examples that Jesus gives for how we are to store up heavenly treasures that last forever. And these are the two options that Jesus lays out. And we read in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This word treasure, I mentioned it's the same word as layup, this this word treasure comes from the same root word in Greek that means to fix our eyes, to give our attention to. And I think it's fitting because we fix our eyes, we fix our hearts, we give our attention to what we treasure. And what Jesus is saying here is still so true today. The things that that we most highly treasure and occupies our heart. It's at the center of our mind, our emotions, our will. And the most valued treasure, it will control the whole person's direction and values. It's how all of us work. John Calvin writes, if honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of a man. If money, then forthwith greed takes over the kingdom. If pleasure, then men will certainly degenerate into sheer self-indulgence. Where our treasure is, that is where our hearts will be. Now, I don't want anyone to walk away this morning believing that they can will themselves into pursuing these treasures of heaven. Because the reality is that for us, or for those of you who are not in Christ, for those of you who who aren't believers, your desire And scriptures make very clear your desire is to rebel against the king of heaven. You have no desire in you to long for the treasures of heaven. And while I say the stern warning, I do also share good news with you. The good news is that the grace of God that makes alive one's heart to the king of heaven and the treasures of heaven, it's freely offered to you. It's freely offered to anyone who comes humbly. And it is only by grace through faith in Christ that one longs and pursues for the treasures of heaven. So I plead with you for those of you who are not believers, come, come to Jesus, turn to Jesus and repent. Long for the treasures of heaven that last for all of eternity. For those of you for my fellow brothers and sisters who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior, I leave you with three applications. And I've been praying that the same grace of God that saves us would also sanctify us as believers. Number one. Treasure the King of Heaven. Several weeks ago, Pastor Andrew Matheson from Scotland, he preached on Revelation 1 and encourage us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. He, I was gonna try to do his accent, but I can't. <laughs> to stare, stare, stare upon Jesus. And Maranatha, it begins here. And it has to stay here. And it ends here, because it's about Jesus. And I've earned this reputation. Uh, I'm the resident crybaby on staff, right? And I'll tell you, I'm not ashamed. But I want to explain. One of the reasons I often cry is because when I'm sitting there with you guys, standing there with you guys, I picture Revelation 4. And I really, really long for that day as saints. After describing in great detail Jesus on his throne, being surrounded by the elders, John writes, and around the throne... and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. I guarantee you that none of those living creatures or elders will ever think, you know what, this king, he ain't that glorious. I can also guarantee you that when we join in this worship, we won't be wondering, let's go back. I really miss my treasures on earth. So my question, why aren't you crying with me? Isn't this a glorious picture? This is not some abstract thing. That we will worship the everlasting King. What a glorious truth. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, I ask you to examine your own life. Do you treasure this high king of heaven? As we will sing later, is he our vision? Is he the lens through which we see all things? Application one, treasure the king of heaven. Number two, confess. Confess to the Lord of your pursuit for earthly treasures. Tim Keller writes the following, The greatest danger, because it is such a subtle temptation, which enables us to continue as church members and feel that nothing is wrong, is not that we become atheists, but that we ask God to coexist with idols in our hearts. How true is this? How true is this when it comes to pursuing earthly treasures? As I read before, and what I believe is that the love of money, love for money, has a tremendous grasp on so many believers, even here amongst our Maranatha family. And we are warned in First Timothy 6:10 that the love of money is, root of, is the root of all kinds of evil, and yet it goes on and on, never being addressed. But I want to bring it to the light church. And this passage is not just for the wealthy. But it's for all of us who've fallen into this pursuit of wealth. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It's for all of us who've fallen into this pursuit of wealth, for the treasures on earth. It's for those of you who think, you know, I'll just work really hard for the next 30 years, then I'll have the last 15 to 20 years to myself. I'll just do whatever I want. For those of you who think, you know, I deserve these earthly treasures. You know, I I deserve everything I've been through as hard as... I deserve this. Or for those of you who wonder, you know, if I just had a little bit more, things would be good. I can't count the number of times I've driven by... There's a New Jersey Powerball lottery sign on Route 4 above the new Chick-fil-A across Riverside Square Mall, right? And I drive by that sign And immediately, wow, 320 million? That'd be nice. (laughs) Every Sunday, I play ball and I drive back on Route 4 and I see that sign. I'm like, "Ah, that'd be really nice. And I have to slap myself. Wake up. Church, I I encourage us. let's not justify it. Right? Or make excuses. What earthly treasures are you pursuing? In what ways have you encouraged knowingly and unknowingly your children, your friends, your co-workers to long more for the treasures on earth rather than the treasures of heaven? We can say all we want that the prosperity gospel is horrible and it absolutely is. But if you were to examine your own life, in what ways do you value wealth and prosperity more than the treasures of heaven? In what ways do you treasure the treasures of earth more than faithful obedience to God's word? Let's not justify it. Let's not make excuses. Let's own up to it. And let's not point fingers at others, but let's take time to examine our own hearts. Because we deceive ourselves when we take lightly the fact that we long more for earth treasures than the treasures of heaven. So my encouragement is this. Let's ask the Lord to reveal such sin and confess it to him. But not only to the Lord, but to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And know that in Christ there is forgiveness. Know that in Christ there is sanctification. And with that in mind, here is the last application. Worship the Lord with your wealth. One commentator writes that we can either worship wealth or we can worship the Lord with our wealth. And I don't think it's a coincidence that what follows shortly after a passage is a call to not be anxious. Mm-hmm. Worshipping wealth, treasuring the things on earth will inevitably lead to anxiety. Because we're placing, our hopes, we're placing our hope in things that don't last. So I ask you, church, how will you worship the Lord with your wealth? Parents, how are you modeling to your children to worship with the wealth that the Lord has given you? Do you look actively for ministries to support ministries that are doing God's good work? Maybe it's budgeting, right? 2022, let's start a new year and we have all sorts of goals, but maybe one of those goals can be to uh, make a specific budget. Go to Pastor Justin, he'll help you out. Right? Make a specific budget. Will your budget show that you desire to worship the Lord with your wealth? There are little steps that we can take, church. And my hope is that we don't walk, I don't want us to walk away just thinking that's a nice sermon, but I really pray, I've been praying that we would really put into action God's word this morning, that as the Holy Spirit convicts us through his word, we would put it into action. Let's remember that we worship the Lord who came not to be served, but to serve. And with the wealth that the Lord has given us, some of us, and maybe smaller than others, we can point unbelievers to Jesus. And we can encourage fellow believers by how we serve the Lord and others with our wealth. So to close, listen to Paul's exhortation through Timothy to the saints in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Maranatha, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, your word says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Lord, we cling to this glorious truth. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to put to death our idolatry of earthly treasures. Help us not to make any more excuses. Help us not to justify or point fingers, but help us to put it to death. And Lord, we ask that you would also help us to pursue after the treasures of heaven. Help us to walk in humble, wholehearted obedience to your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit, that it would help us, that he would help us to treasure Christ above all, and that as we do, we would ultimately use our earthly treasures, treasures that you have given us, to bring you glory. Lord, we thank you, Father, once again for your word. We of all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.